Hier komen wij in vreemd. listening to Red Flag Radio. We're recording the show on Indigenous land that was stolen, that was never ceded, that always was and always will be Aboriginal land. We're a revolutionary socialist podcast and uh, we talk about politics. It shouldn't come as a surprise. We talk about history, theory and struggle with people who are involved in those struggles. And I'm very happy to be joined by uh, a couple of activists who are very well known in Australia for being part of the struggle or the struggles, the ongoing struggles for um, LGBTI plus that is lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, intersex and all different diverse genders and sexualities um, against homophobia and transphobia. And they are Ali Hogg in Melbourne here with me. Hello, Ali. Hi. And April Holcomb, who's in Sydney on the phone. Hello. And I'm also joined by Liam, who's the producer of the show, here in the studio, who does an amazing technical job. Thanks again, Liam. No worries. And a political job contributing <laughs> to the show as well. Okay, so let's talk a bit about, um, well, the show really, the focus of what we want to talk about is this new package of bills that are um, set up to be around the question of religious discrimination. But I kind of wanted to go back a bit because I think the context of where these bills have come from is really important. And I think for me that is obviously with the marriage equality campaign, which you were both involved in. Um, Ali, do you want to go first by talking a bit about um, some of your memories of the marriage? Well, this could, that could be a long answer. Um, <laughs> some of when you got when you first were involved in the marriage equality campaign, and maybe some of the lessons, mm. the broader lessons that you took out of that struggle. Yeah, well, you're right. It was a long campaign, so I'll try and keep it snappy <laughs> as much as I can. So. Um, In 2004, we had our first rally. I was in the student union, a queer officer in my student union at the time, and there was only maybe 100 or so people at that first rally, and it didn't really kick off until 2009 that um, we saw the rallies really grow into the thousands. And then, obviously, after the um, postal survey, it really um, pissed people off and riled people up and people saw the real need to get out and fight. And then we saw tens and tens of thousands of people out on the streets. So it was um, that point there that it was it really became obvious to people the importance of getting out on the streets and fighting and seeing what um, what mass action can actually do. Um, the government thought by giving us a postal survey it was going to be their way of ending the debate, but it did the complete opposite, and that was fabulous. So it was a real lesson in if you don't fight, you lose, and we won, and that was fabulous. But I think there's another lesson, which is the religious freedom bills, is why we can't just sit on our hands or why we, why we can't rest on our laurels when we've had a win, that we need to keep up that momentum and keep up that enthusiasm because like within weeks we were threatened with with, with these religious discrimination bills. Mm. And April, you, um, one of the things that's sort of the sort of emerging um, history of the marriage equality campaign that's being written by um, a whole range of different people now, usually from pretty mainstream LGBTI organi- or, or not even LGBTI organisations, have sort of presented it as a mosaic of tactics you know like it was this struggle that there was some lobbying there was some behind the scenes stuff there was some writing letters and then there was this street thing and it all 
sort of pieces together to form this beautiful victory. What's your take on some of that kind of uh, being part of the, just the streets part of a broader mosaic kind of thing? Yeah, well, uh, in 2010, uh, when I was 17, I went to my first rally, which was the marriage equality rally. And that's basically how I got interested in protest and activism and stuff in general. Um, and I think that's true for a lot of people that the protests were really attractive to them as young uh, LGBTI people wanting to do something. And that actually was a stepping stone to getting more consistently involved in the activism. I think, yeah, a lot of the other uh, more official organizations um, basically had a strategy for a long time of trying to be become friends with or meet halfway the politicians who basically made it very clear on both uh, in both parties, Labour Liberal, made it very clear that they weren't interested in giving us our rights. Um, and I think you could see how that approach affected the way they... Uh, for the protests, like when Tony Abbott first got in, we received criticism from official organisations for basically going on the attack against Tony Abbott, um, when actually that was the exact thing you needed Mm -hmm. to do. Um, So I think it's wrong to see the victory of the campaign as this sort of combination of different tactics. I think all that the lobbying sort of did was uh, create... uh, complacency amongst um, amongst those people that basically uh, with the right moral argument um, they would persuade the Liberal Party or the Labour Party to shift their position but actually it was just the constant uh, and then eventually growing sort of pressure um, from protests and just general attitudes to actually sort this situation out that kind of forced their hand um, and that same strategy of trying to conciliate with them has failed in terms of the religious freedom bill now, which has only gotten worse with each new version of it. And um, good thing is I think more people now see the point of the protest strategy as the essential core of any, um, yeah, any way to, to take this down. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that the idea that you have to keep putting pressure on people and, and that mobilizations on, on, pressure on politicians and that mobilizations on the streets do that but they have this other impact on the people who are involved in them and their level of confidence and their understanding of politics and one of the lessons for me from the marriage equality campaign which I was also involved in for a long time um, is that you have to apply that pressure equally um, on both sides of politics like you said on the Labour Party as well because it's the Labour Party who will come up more likely to come up with these conciliatory kind of positions. And that did, in fact, happen um, during the marriage equality campaign, Ali. I think you probably remember when there was a discussion around, well, should we accept civil partnership Mm. um, as a sort of measure that at least gives us something, even if it's not full equality? Yeah, definitely. There were some people that didn't only just want to accept that, but they were wanted to change the whole campaign to call for it, for that to be the thing that we called for. Because we shouldn't, we shouldn't go for, we shouldn't go too radical on this. We need to pull it back a bit and do something that they might accept, and then eventually, public opinion and politicians will catch up to where the more progressive people are at, rather than see it as though the majority of people. Um, when it's put to them, will um, 
will be well will be streets and streets ahead of the politicians, and so it's important to to call for the most. Well, I don't even think marriage equality was that radical, <laughs> but to um yeah to not just like keep some of our eggs in our basket and wait till later. I think it was important to go the whole hog, and so to speak, <laughs> the whole alley hog, chuck all the eggs. Yeah, <laughs> and then um yeah because. If they like, we did. We did also see through the marriage equality campaign. They did try to change certain laws to try to shut us up, mm. and so that was a real lesson. Like why we shouldn't have just stood half like yeah. with at a halfway mark. Like I they, remember that Labor thing where they're like, "Here's the eighty six laws or something," mm. or mm. where they listed them all. And they're like, "And this is what we've done for equality." And it's like, yeah, but you still don't support marriage equality. Yeah, and there's still all these other things. Yeah, thing. that's right. So we get to today, um, and April, it was actually in Sydney, and I don't know if you were watching the Scott Morrison press conference, I'm sure you've probably watched it since then, on the 10th of December when he came back to introduce the second version of these bills, and it was on the worst day at that point that um, Sydney had experienced with bushfire smoke. I think people just looked at that, and we'll get to the content of the bills, but just the way that they were presented there I think speaks to sort of where this whole thing is coming from politically, which is not about a genuine concern about religious discrimination. So can you describe some of that, April, and, and people's response to that as well? Yeah, I think it's really um, the whole timing of this announcement of the second bill, because uh, I didn't see it because I was too busy uh, being at a like a, a rally of 40,000 people against the smoke in Sydney at the time, mm. um, but everyone knew about it. And the whole context of that has also made people so much angrier and um, about the bill and just the whole thing being so much more transparent that this is the priorities of uh, this right-wing government at the time when Australia is facing the biggest like environmental crisis basically it's ever faced. His priority is to... Uh, basically try to um, win curry favour with like the extreme right element of Australian society. Um, but that's basically all he cares about. And then um, since then, as we've been building for the, the rally on February 8 here in Sydney, when you go to bushfire rallies and you hand out the leaflet about the uh, protest against the Religious Freedom Bill, people are just taking it right out of your hand and just can't believe it and can really see the connection between a government that doesn't want to do anything about climate change but appears to have just uh, limitless time to ponder ways to um, try to sneak through some legislation that no one wants about attacking primarily LGBTI people but also women and people with disabilities. So I think a lot of people are really angry and that's, that's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... Ali. Yeah, um, I think that he couldn't have picked a better time to actually announce it. I think he... I think tactically they probably chose that time because they thought it would go under the radar, but it did the complete opposite. And so... It's been a really fantastic period of people just like hating on the government, like, and they really just showed their true colours, like. And then he still didn't comment on the bushfires and pissed off to Hawaii, and so I think that it's um, it's been one of the best things that's happened in this country for a while. Him making coming out and making that statement because people are also drawing the connections between his response to the bushfires and. 
like some of these under um, these underlying things, like the them trying to push through some of the most regressive laws that we've seen for like decades. Yeah. Now let's talk a bit about what's actually in these laws and what people are concerned about, because on the face of it, um, there's a whole range of anti-discrimination legislation that exists to protect people from discrimination. You think, okay, that's left-wing people support this. People should not be discriminated against and there should be protections and so on. Um, Yeah, to support people. So... I think initially when the first drafts were um, released in August, people there was a hesitation because it was like, well, you know, we as socialists in particular have actively fought against Islamophobia, which is a very, very real um, concern and very active form of prejudice and discrimination in Australia in particular. And so people can think, well, you know, if there's something that recognises that, that could be a good thing and there's people on the left who sort of looked at it and said well and actually some of the big organizations looked at the package and said well maybe there's parts of it we can support even if there's parts of it that need to be amended so what what was some of the um mixture of things that were in there at the beginning ali that people were concerned about or not well I think it grows even before the um, the draft was released. Um, we saw groups like Equality Australia get a number of queer or LGBTI orgs and even organisations like Amnesty International and a whole bunch of NGOs sign on to saying that they're going to support these bills and then there's certain parts of it they're going to oppose, but it was overwhelmingly saying that they, got, they were going to support these religious freedom bills um, before even seeing it. And these some of these organisations that are so used to lobbying and they've kind of really cozied up to a lot of politicians just believed it on face value without having actually seen the bills. So um, it was really quite disgusting. And so I think that um, – and most people hadn't seen the bills even when they were putting their name to saying they support it. So when the bills actually came out, people were left flabbergasted and not knowing what to do and trying to scramble to work out what they agree with and what they don't. And people were getting – like organisations were getting their lawyers to try to read the fine print to see if there was anything that they – could agree with, but we called a rally really early on, um, Roz and I, as a part of Rainbow Rebellion, and it was um, a lot of these organisations wouldn't put their name to it because it contradicted what they said in this initial press release that had nearly 100 organisations signed on to it. Um, So it's only until like now, which is months and months later, that people are realising the severity of it and they're coming to um, realise that it was a massive mistake to sign on to something that they hadn't seen and it's... um, it's really appalling and I think that it should be a lesson for everybody <laughs> not to just um, trust lobbyists that are seen as um, somebody that you should be able to trust and who you should who should have the right opinion, but um, it's obviously not the case. And in Sydney, April, you had the same kind of debate, right, with some people saying, well, we should support part of it and not others and then the campaign group that you're in, saying, no, we need to just reject the whole thing. And on what basis was that rejection of the whole thing made? Well, I think the thing is that a lot of 
organizations that are much more uh, uh, or much less focused on sort of grassroots activism. They tend to think of politics as this sort of um, uh, game of uh, compromise and, you know, oh, we won marriage equality, so we've got to let them have a bid and, and then we'll come back and so on. And I think they were disoriented by the way that the Liberals tried to frame it, but it's pretty clear, if you think about it, that the the party putting this bill forward and the people in that party pushing this bill uh, are the worst people in society when it comes to attitudes and treatment towards people like Muslims. So, like, these are the most Islamophobic people in society putting forward a bill and then they claim it's about protecting religious minorities. It doesn't really fly. Um is a pretty obvious way to cut through the transparency. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, yeah, and then you actually look at the bill and it's, it's clear that it's about really entrenching religious exemptions that already exist. I think that's the other part of the debate is that actually, even if this bill had not um, been put forward or proposed, actually the left and LGBTI people would have still had the challenge of trying to remove existing exemptions in the law for religious schools and so on to sack teachers and um, and expel gay students and so on. So I think we, a lot of people started from the wrong position, which was not um, where to from here for LGBTI rights, but um, but sort of giving them a bit a bit of a, a compromise mm. or a uh- consolation. And I think that's just totally the wrong way to start because it just opens the gates for them to keep pushing more and more crap. And if you trace the um, the process of, of what has happened, then you've got to go back to we won marriage equality. Immediately afterwards, mm. the Liberals say we need a commission on religious freedoms because all of these bloody babies <laughs> on, on the conservative side and the ACL and all these awful organisations start whinging because they've got smashed so badly in the postal um, survey result. So they go to the Liberals and they're like, you've got to do something for us. And they say, okay, we'll have this religious freedom investigation with Philip Ruddock, who's apparently still alive. And he finds, he makes 20 recommendations, um, which basically they can't really find that there's any issue with religious freedom in Australia. So they basically say it's all fine. And then there's this blow up that happens in the meantime where people have started to realise that these religious exemptions do actually exist when you look at it already, that religious mm. organisations do have a lot of freedom, including around schools and teachers. So this forces Morrison to say, yeah, gay, gay students shouldn't be expelled from school. It forces the Labour Party to say that gay teachers shouldn't be able to be sacked from schools, which happens um, before these bills come out. And so people are starting to think at that point, oh, well, there's something wrong in the existing law mm. that is discriminatory against LGBTI people that definitely should be fixed, and the vast majority of people obviously agree with that. Scott Morrison is on the back foot then saying we should fix it, and then the next thing that happens is he introduces these bills to entrench it and make it even worse and make it a federal thing. And the first thing that the mainstream organisations want to do is to say, oh, yeah, maybe there is a th- problem with religious freedom. You're like, this is completely mm. upside mm. down, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and when people have now started to look at it more closely, um, what these bills do is um, objectionable to even 
you know, the human, the Australian Human Rights Commission, the Australian Medical Association, which is not necessarily a progressive organisation, you know, it's a medical professionals board or whatever, to say that what you can allow, you know, what these bills allow for now um, is have has the potential to have a hugely detrimental effect on things like healthcare and so on. And Ali, I know you work in the sector as well. Like, what are some of the biggest fears that people have in terms of what these laws actually allow um, to happen? Yeah, well, the list is endless. And I think um, particularly because the language used in the bills are things like um, because of your beliefs. So it's nothing that's solid that you can actually like put to like compare to existing laws or existing bills. So it's so broad. Um, but it, people are really concerned that, um, there'll be, obviously people can be sacked in some, um, institutions and organizations because of their sexuality and gender identity and so on. But, it's going to be a lot broader than that and it can expand out to people with disabilities. It can s- expand out to people from, who are involved in interracial relationships. It can, like, it, the list is endless, but there's some of the things that some people haven't even begun to start talking about, which is things like it can affect mandatory reporting and so on. So I think that it's um, really scary. And the fact that it does it is a lot broader than LGBTI people, I think, is really important. It shows that this is, like, way worse than the attack on marriage equality. Like, this is goes way beyond that. We're already seeing, like, people having the confidence to put signs up in their doctor's surgeries to have – to show what they – who they are already prepared to discriminate against. Mm. So um, a lot of people might not have realised themselves that some of these laws exist. And so we've seen signs go up saying if you um, choose to have an abortion, you can't have it in this clinic and so on. And so imagine the type of signs we can see going up if um, like when these, when or if these laws get passed about like the people would be allowed to put signs up about trans people people would be allowed to have signs up saying we won't prescribe prep in this um in this clinic and so on it's really scary and for a lot of people in melbourne or who might live in in a city of sydney might be like oh well you can just go to another doctor you're always going to be able to find another doctor but if you live in a country town your only doctor or your only chemist might be a religious chemist or a religious doctor and it is not that easy to just find somebody else um to who won't discriminate against you like you Mm. might have to get a train that might take you a couple of hours into the next town and then you just have to hope that they aren't going to discriminate against you and many people already um have a fear of going to the doctor. Um, we did a survey at work, um, through work, where it showed that trans and gender diverse people have a massive fear of going to the doctor and they're mass- they're way less likely to go to the doctor than their cisgendered counterparts. And it's, um, it's pretty scary that that already exists mm-hmm. and this will only get worse if these bills get through. And one of the things that AMA have said about it um, in their submission um, to the consultation on the bills is that doctors already have a, 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 the right to conscientious objection, like that already exists. But 
what they currently have to do if they conscientiously object to a particular treatment is to at least provide a referral. It's like you still have a duty of care to get that person the medical support that they need and they're entitled to. And so if you personally conscientiously object to doing it, you have to actually find them someone else to do it. This bill will mean, no, you can just say, I don't want, I don't feel like doing that. It's on religious grounds. You don't have to justify it basically. And you don't have to find them any other support. Um, so, April, what what do you think in terms of what are some of the biggest implications of of these laws that we haven't already said? Well, I think the whole thing is just a, a carte blanche, like to to discriminate. I think this is a classic thing about sort of what socialists say about the fight for reform and the ruling class are up against. Is you win something like marriage equality, and the very next day they're thinking, how do we get this back? And the thing about these, this bill is, on one hand, it's sort of the first, uh, you know, uh, sort of bill of response, of attack, of winding that back. But it also sets the terrain for any, for the whole backlash, because it allows, yeah, discrimination in just like so many areas of life. The stuff with healthcare is, I think, one of the worst. Um, the fact that, yeah, basically, this de facto makes a whole bunch of things like abortion, depending on where you are, becomes legal or illegal. If you're in a rural town and, it, and your doctor doesn't do it, then de facto you can't get an abortion, you know. Um, but then other things like uh, the so-called, well, what I would call the Israel Salah clause, mm. which is that the whole thing with, um, with this multi-millionaire rugby player is that that's sort of the, the original backdrop to the bill coming out. So basically, the other thing the bill allows is that, well, it prevents it prevents um, people like Israel Folau from from copying any consequences for being for using their public platform to spread bigotry. Um, so any means of discipline or recourse for someone like Folau would constitute discrimination on the grounds of religious belief in this legislation. And then on top of that, there's a huge watering down of anti-vilification laws, uh, especially um, those in specific states like Tasmania, where um, it's you know it's unlawful to um, to vilify and to threaten violence against people and so on. Uh, well, this uh, bill is basically overrides anti-discrimination law in all the different states to become federally binding, and it also um, totally waters down what constitutes vilification so that if um, something can be, for example, moderately, it can be moderately intimidating um, and basically all of it can be uh, any reasonable um, uh, religious uh, belief uh, or any genuine religious belief. Yeah, and you only need one other person to say that they agree with you that it's a genuine part of the religion. Yeah, so in other words, it's legal as long as you mean it. Um, as long as you mean the awful things you say or do, um, then it's legal. Yeah. Um, it's just outrageous. This is really sort of American-style, culture war, backlash, religious rights sort of thing where they try to take on every little aspect of what makes uh, a LGBTI person in particular's life difficult trying to get a job, trying to get housing, uh, access to services, access to healthcare, and make sure that there's protections for bigots in all those areas of life to maintain 
sort of existing oppression um, and then to try and cover this all up in the guise of, oh, this is about religious um, freedom or like, don't you know, some people who are religious are persecuted or whatever, as if that's got anything to do with this. And it doesn't, and it actually doesn't protect minority religions because what what will happen in the case of a Christian saying, this is my religious belief, something about Muslims, and the Muslim mm. saying, well, that's a, offensive, and they say, no, religious freedom. Mm. Um, and Muslims are not going around saying offensive things about Christians. So this is only going <laughs> to work in this one-sided way. Mm. The other factor mm-hmm. that in the second round of bills is that because they've increased the protection for organisations and because there's such a, a huge amount of pub- well, what should be public services being delivered in the community sector, which is sort of like a euphemism in a way because it's, it's privatised, they just happen to be not-for-profit type organisations. But those big charitable organisations like the Salvation Army or Anglicare or you know, and they some of them are better than others, but they're getting public money. Mm. People are getting paid out of public money, and those people who are getting paid out of public money are absolutely now or would be entitled to be um, racist, homophobic, transphobic, ableist bigots in the course of their work that they're getting funded by public money to deliver that should be a universal service yeah we've already seen people in um with the bushfire crisis getting knocked back from services from some of these religious organizations that has been given the money so imagine how much worse that could be like people could get knocked back for there we have heard a story of a also an an indigenous woman and a trans people getting knocked back and um homeless people like come on like Mm. they've got it bad enough as it is like for fuck's sake, it's outrageous. So it's just going to get worse, and it um and it, like it's ridiculous that these organisations are getting thrown all this money anyway. But then they have the right to pick and choose who they give it to based on like their beliefs. It's it's just so fucked. And I think one of the things I mean with anti with all with all anti discrimination law, it's very rare actually that the law gets tested in court. So people can go through the fine print of the legislation line by line and say, well, this could be interpreted in this way or that way. But actually, the much more important part of any legislative framework is that it sets the political agenda and it sets the tone and it sets people's expectations and it builds confidence for kind of one side or the other. And in my experience in working for with safe schools in schools having these kind of discussions around prejudice and it would come up a lot how do we balance out um people with genuine religious beliefs about homosexuality and lgbti students wanting to feel safe at school and one of the things that we could kind of use as part of our discussions on on this and obviously there's a lot to say about it is that there's this framework of legislation that protects lgbti people against discrimination so while people might hold certain beliefs in their heads, and they, can, they, of course, are free to do that, expressing those beliefs in a prejudicial way in a classroom, i.e. a bigoted Christian saying, I hate gay people should burn in hell, should not is not allowed in schools because, you know, it's offensive, obviously, but it's also potentially in breach of some of this anti-discrimination mm. stuff. And now you can imagine the parents of that child who you know let's not necessarily blame the children but you know the family of that child or whatever saying no haven't you seen the religious freedom bills we're allowed to say whatever we want whenever we want wherever we want and teachers will think oh shit yeah 
I don't know actually whether I can stop this from happening. And all of the work that's been done to kind of push back against that homophobia and transphobia just disappears. And to think that LGBTI organisations were some of the people mm. saying, oh, part of these bills is okay or whatever, it's just absolutely sickening. And it's just been crazy as well how the Labor Party have been so silent on it. It wasn't mm. until this week when the AMA came out that they felt confident to say anything about it. And it was just like marriage equality or, or the marriage um, act being changed all over again. Like the ALP was silent on that. Albanese almost, he considered crossing the floor but didn't. And now all over again, the Labor Party have just been ridiculously silent and um, the unions as well have like taken, it's taken them a while to come out. Individual unions have come out and said a few things. They're starting to, but it's taken so long. Um, and some of the individuals I've spoken to in unions have been concerned because they feel like they're going to have to stand up for workers who might have particular religious beliefs. And it's, it's it does, like Roz, you were saying before, it's like we're living in a topsy-turvy world. It doesn't make any sense. The unions should be at the forefront of the campaign um, to say that, like, to protect workers' rights to, and their right to, um, so of course we're for freedom of religion, but this is just freedom of bigotry. Yeah. So, April, what about the opposition then? Do you think it's, it seems as if the ALP are moving towards potentially opposing the bills and the Greens have committed opposition, but sort of this has obviously taken a very long time and they're still, they still haven't actually said that. So what do you think we should be doing in terms of um, organising opposition or how much should we be focusing on the Labor Party or, or other aspects of this um, building kind of what obviously needs to be happening to stop these bills from getting through? Yeah, I mean, don't get me started on the Labor Party. Um, <laughs> it's an absolute disgrace. And like Albanese, the little grub, has... We actually contacted the Gay and Lesbian Rights Lobby recently and uh, the people leading that at the moment are in the Labor Party and they told us that they had talked to Albanese about the bill just a few weeks ago and he said he had no opinion on the bill so far. Outrageous. Um, yeah, so it's a disgrace. I think uh, whether or not they end up being formally against the bill will make no difference to whether they actually fight to stop the bill. Um, I think even if they end up not voting for it, they will be pretty much happy to let it pass, given that when the, the when it was first floated, they hadn't even seen the legislation and they mm. said, yeah, it sounds good, sign us up. Yeah. And now it's only because uh, both the bill is worse, Scott Morrison's more unpopular, and that the bigger organ. NGOs and stuff have also backed out that they might think twice but it won't matter because the real thing we need to do is actually mobilise people against Scott Morrison it's not really about trying to plead with the better um, better half of uh, you know the Labour Party's conscience or whatever this is about saying well, Scott Morrison is a failure of a, of a Prime Minister, he's a disgrace, he's a criminal he's let the country burn he went to Hawaii and all he cares about is this bloody bill to let bigots be more powerful. 
well, we have to bring it down and we have to bring ScoMo down. I think that kind of tone and, and mood is actually the thing that's going to pile the pressure on the Liberal Party. It might force the Labor Party to be more vocal against it. But the idea we should be waiting around or hoping on Labor to change their tune is definitely not what we should be doing. Um, I think even the even the Greens like could be more vocal and and um, and fighting against this stuff. Um, but yeah, to their credit, they have opposed it and they'll be speaking at our rallies and that. But really, it's been the sort of marriage equality groups that uh, socialists have been involved in for a long time. They've sort of revived themselves or or, or, or um, reconstituted themselves. It's those groups around the country that have been. Uh, leading the fight against it. Um, and it's good that we have the bigger mainstream organisations like more on board now who are pretty much against the bill. But this is a big I told you so to them as well, that they should never have gotten sucked into this um, into this uh, bill process and should have just been against it from the first, uh, from the first in the first place. Because mm. the whole reason the bill's worse now is that that then sent a message to the right wing in the Liberal Party and society that oh, look, we're not really, like, even, like, we've got them sort yeah. of vacillating on it, so no we may have yeah. a harder version of the bill. Yeah. And that's what we've got now. So, lesson learned, hopefully, for those organisations, but that was never, uh, that was always clear to the rest of us, and we are the opposition. Because if it wasn't for the fact that Rainbow Rebellion and um, CAR, Community Action for Rainbow Rights in Sydney, put out media releases initially with the first bill saying these bills need to be scrapped, it's appalling, look how terrible it is and all the different examples of how people could be treated completely legally now. It w- the whole community would have been completely and utterly disarmed, thinking it's all okay and whatever. And even still, those, main or- those major organisations have had this totally neutralising effect mm. that now means that people mm. are only just sort of looking at it and going... Mm. Wait a second. Mm. This can't be right. That's absolutely fucked. If that mm. happens, that's absolutely fucked. And and now we're tr- saying, okay, there's still time. Now you've realised that there's, um, you know, that the Greens should be getting people out. That these big organisations should be getting people out to these rallies, and that everyone who's listening to this should, if they're now shocked and appalled as we are, be getting themselves and their friends and everybody they know. Because this would be a major setback, not just for LGBTI people, but for anyone who wants reproductive services, people with disabilities, Indigenous people, Muslims actually in this country, as Lydia Shelley wrote about, I think, in The Guardian this week. It would make people worse off and that nobody should buy the bullshit. And now surely Scotty from marketing cannot sell this crap um, to people who, in the vast majority, when you look at public opinion polls, support obviously, the fact that gay students shouldn't be expelled from schools or trans teachers shouldn't be expelled from schools and all this kind of stuff. So so tell us about the rally in Melbourne, Ali, to start with. Yeah, so on Sunday the 9th of February, we'll be coming out on the streets and marching against it. Um, it we're meeting at 1pm at the State Library, so people need to remember that it's a Sunday, not a Saturday this time. Um 
And we um, we want people to get put the church goers. <laughs> yeah, we want people to put in as much energy and enthusiasm as we did during the postal survey. Um, the time for writing submissions is over. Not only did we see like so many people spend hours upon hours of their time writing submissions for the first yeah. um, draft, and then to come back with an even worse <laughs> a worse draft. Um, I think it was a real lesson why we need to put that time and energy into an actual fight back and not just like sending letters of begging for a better bill. We need to scrap the bills and we need nothing more than to scrap the bills. So um, I encourage everyone that's listening to come out wherever you are. Yep. And April in Sydney, it's on Saturday, right? That's right. Saturday, the 8th of February, uh, 1pm at Town Hall. Uh, we have yeah, a range of speakers um, from organizations and communities, big and small. Um, I think the Facebook event looks like it's going to be a big one. We had a couple last year that were well attended, but I think this one will um, be much bigger than them. Uh, And, you know, we also want to uh, keep carrying forward that idea that Scott Morrison must go. Uh, He must resign both for his his, uh, actions during the bushfire crisis, which is still going, and for the Religious Freedom Bill, um, which we are not going to let pass. We are going to kill that thing dead. So come along Saturday next week, 8th of February, 1pm, Town Hall. And there's also rallies in Brisbane, I think, um, on Saturday as well. And look up your other local um, protests against this. And I will just say, if you are interested in purchasing one of the Fox Gomo t-shirts that you might have seen mentioned in the Australian this week, hopefully you don't read the Australian, <laughs> and on Sky News, there is now um, an Etsy shop, which is Red Flag Store, if you look on Etsy, Red Flag Store, which um, ties in with, obviously, the newspaper that we publish, Red Flag, and this podcast, Red Flag Radio, and we also have a Patreon for Red Flag Radio, so that's patreon.com forward slash Red Flag Radio Podcast, if you want to find us on Patreon and support the show, and we'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Ali Hogg and April Holcomb for coming on the show. You're listening to Red Flag Radio. We have a world to win. Red Flag Radio.